with me, Noreen Mayer, on this Thursday afternoon. And I'm excited to welcome back on the program Andrew Dembina for this week's Artsing Around. How are you doing, Andrew? I'm good, thanks. How are you, Noreen? Yeah, very good. So just, I don't know why I'm giggling, but because you, you always send these pictures that you're going to talk about on the show. So I thought yeah. I'd send you back a few of my own in the studio. <laughs> you did that today. That's right. I was taken by surprise. To the listener, let me describe what I saw. So what I do, you may have heard Noreen reference this before, um, when, when we're doing a, a report segment together, I will send her pictures that are related to what we're talking about, never captioned, deliberately. So it's um, to give her food for thought and not just to reel off what they are because she's read a caption in front of her. Um, she did the same to me, sent over three or four images that were, that were certainly uncaptioned of what looked suspiciously like Noreen Mir, the presenter herself, but moved, there was movement. There was a certain juxtaposition, Noreen, of light and dark, colour and clarity and blurring. That's I'm right. It is. <laughs> it's called the Shaky Head um, uh, Edition, the Shaky Head Series, if you like. It's because the studio is so <laughs> cold that I've got to put my scarf over my head um, and shake well, and, and shake just to keep myself shake warm. Shake the heat into yourself. <laughs> exactly. Well, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's a new studio, as most presenters have been saying over the last week. It's a week today, isn't it? It that, is. Uh, Radio 3 has, has right. moved into the renovated studio. But... Um, uh, I, I guess uh, first first priorities, uh, naturally, with uh, the listener in mind, is to get a good quality of sound, get to know where all the buttons are for the sound desk. But maybe you need to find out where the air conditioning controls are too. No, there's none. There's, there's ah. none. You can't control the air conditioning. It's like 13 degrees in here. I don't know, to keep the equipment. or uh, It's really cold. Uh. Uh, right. But uh, we, we shouldn't complain. We're, we're really happy to have a new studio. So, you know, looks what's a couple of degrees lower? Exactly. It's a, what, what, what's a couple of degrees lower? It's an extra layer of clothing. That's, That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So what have you got for our listeners this afternoon? It's a roundup of things from around the world. Nothing this week from Hong Kong. Um, something from Asia coming up later. But starting off in North America, where museums in both US and Canada are facing the music over indigenous people's rights. Now, we've heard many things in the past. I won't go through them all, but, you know, we hear about rights on this and that, things that belong to uh, other people in today's more uh, concerned world than, uh, than it was some decades ago. So these kind of issues about what belongs to whom uh, come up all the time. And this is an ongoing indigenous protest movement that's forcing museums in both those countries that I mentioned to, ke to keep asking more questions. Who really should they be representing? Who are, you know, in countries that are little older than 200 years, such as Canada and America and Australia, um, should the people who have been there for millennia be better represented in the arts? That's one question. Uh, it's a rhetorical question. I'll leave it dangling. And the other one is uh, who really owns the land in, on which some museums stand? So recently, and it's not for the first time, the Metropolitan Museum in New York has had people protesting on its steps, and I sent you a picture of uh, just one of those colourful protests, um, and it's from people who come from different ethnic backgrounds that include some of the indigenous um, American Indian 
population, and then there are many uh, um, kind of sub-branches of this across the very large country. And it's an unavoidable question uh, because there have been some investigations into where the Metropolitan Museum in New York uh, was originally before colonisation, and it would have belonged, uh, it is thought, to the uh, the indigenous uh, East Side American Indians. Indians. So um, it's um, so this is one thing that's being being asked more and more. Uh, in 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 terms of art, also a lot of the big art galleries uh, or museums for their artifacts are trying to get more from a reflection of people who are from these communities uh, or also from the culture that has been going on for a long time and is often neglected. So museums are trying to go for major transformations in this area. And there's one curator who comes from uh, an American Indian ancestry. Uh, Her name is Patricia Norby. And she says that in a bid to acknowledge their ties to... um, colonialism she is aware that in america she's she's based in the states um that museums and art galleries are trying to show more work but are they doing enough she asks and she cites this as an example over across the border in canada the royal british columbia museum in victoria um it's it's revamping its indigenous gallery to make it larger and also because the displays inside there were criticized for Uh, as a quote, dehumanising the the Mm. depiction of indigenous people. And also in Vancouver, in the Vancouver Art Gallery, which has taken on a panel of people from, sometimes they will be called the indigenous inhabitants. Also in uh, North America and Australia, they're sometimes called the First Nation population. First Nation, capital F, capital N, um, signifying that these people were the first human settlers known to specific places. And so First Nation artists have been asked to consult in a, a, an architectural expansion at the Vancouver Art Gallery. Um, so things are really happening. And in, uh, in Washington, D.C., in the very famous uh, art uh, gallery and, uh, and artifact um, uh, museum, the Smithsonian Institute. It's got a a forthcoming contemporary show on, which is called the Rennick Invitational. Rennick was was a wealthy uh, American patron who left a sizable amount of money to do this invitational um, art show every year in which the curators at the museum decide to have certain artists in. And they've made a point of having... First Nation artists to be exhibiting in the upcoming exhibition that's being curated at the moment. Solely Indigenous artists has been an attempt to do that. So in 2018, I'm just going to give some more stats here because it's a really big kind of social issue within art and museum um, sort of uh, concerns, particularly in newer countries where that have, that have been that basically were resettled by um by 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 people you know who had colonial power um the the biggest change then is in new york's metropolitan museum which i mentioned in in 2018 it faced very big criticism from the association of american indian affairs which took over its indigenous um its shows of, of indigenous antiques and artifacts which included um ceremonial 
funerary objects, which uh, is interesting, Noreen, actually. We were talking about this last week, about superstitions and taboos over memorial items mm. in arts and antiques after sculptures and mummified remains were shown in Egypt recently, right? right. And they were paraded through streets and the big thing was made about it. And we were just asking the questions in last week's uh, Artsing Around about it's, it's kind of interesting to observe how different cultures... Um, are okay with showing things to do with dead people or not. And it comes, to, it, so the, a week later, it's kind of come up by coincidence here in this uh, report that uh, the, the, the Association of American Indian Affairs are not happy with funerary objects from their past, which are considered sacred and private, to be shown in the New York Museum of Metropolitan Art. So it's since removed... Um, some um, some of these items and also with the help of this uh, indigenous perspective that it's getting from inviting people uh, in to consult it's also relabeling elements that are in there because there's uh, it seems that they didn't get it all correct it was from a perspective of those who were not even in the culture as i'm describing this it all sounds really obvious that you would get someone from a community or with some ancestry if not a historian, which I'm sure they did get historians in who were experts in this, but I guess it's more to do with... Like an art historian or just a, like an architecture... Oh, no, no not architecture, um, archaeology, archaeologist yeah. type person. Archaeologist, um, anthropologist... Yeah. No, that's the wrong word. But someone who studies... Someone who studies... <laughs> uh, um, Ancient uh, civilization. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and particularly with, um, you know, a specific knowledge on the indigenous population of North America or that area of North America where the museum was showing its collection from. That would make sense, wouldn't it? But um, so what they are doing, and, you know, it's good that it's happening, is to get people who are knowledgeable from the communities themselves and from those areas in which they're being, you know, artefacts being exhibited to give some relabeling and also some advice on whether things are okay in, uh, with the community to be showing them there for people to kind of gawk at out of curiosity. So it's a whole, it's a whole sort of can of worms, really, you know, this, this, this kind of thing. Because, but it, however, it is all very positive because it's trying to do things not just in, in what some people might call an overly politically correct way, but in a way that's fair. From that, that reflects communities in a way that's palatable to them because it's their stuff originally. So I think that's, I think to me, that makes perfect sense. Um, so the, the other, other people um, from, from the indigenous uh, American uh, Indian community, also someone called, and I can't believe that this is her original name, it's an artist called Joan Smith who, I mean, you know, she could have married perhaps into, uh, but it's not, it's not a very indigenous Indian-sounding name. No, I was going to say, no, um, it doesn't sound... Oh, is it like a no. fake name? Oh, yeah, maybe it's a married no, name? No, actually, actually, she's an artist, and her full name is, is Joan Quick to See Smith, Quick to See, like, oh. as in to see something. Um, and she has become the first indigenous artist to have a painting in the collection of the National Gallery of Art in Washington. And she says, so she's, she's become quite a big name in the indigenous uh, American artist world. She says that museums in the U.S. still tend to steer their acquisition budget towards white artists and contemporary indigenous arts remains undervalued. And she says that 
where she's got work now. The National Gallery didn't buy, uh, didn't buy my painting and neither did the Met. She means because they showed her painting at the National Gallery in Washington. They only hold my work because it was donated to them by someone else. They didn't invest in it themselves. A museum will spend almost their entire acquisition budget on a Jasper Johns print. Now, Jasper Johns is from the American pop art uh, movement in the 60s, around the time that Jackson Pollock and some of those other abstract um, expressionist artists were around. So she's saying that, that still... There's earmarked a lot of money to be spent on these iconic 1960s or, you know, modern art uh, from uh, by 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 uh, Caucasian Americans. But um, but they don't buy work from the native artists of their own community, she goes on. So um, and, and another comment that's been made by some of the indigenous artists is that there's been a big attempt to show the artwork of the black community in America and also of the Latin communities. There's been a real big effort in both of those areas, but not for the indigenous American, um, Native American uh, community. So that's, uh, that's an interesting one. I, I sent you another um, picture which has got in the middle of a very desolate place in America, a bit of wasteland, um, it's got letters. That, what do those letters look like to you? Can you see that picture? I can. I'm looking at it right now. It, yeah. it looks like, you know, that very famous Hollywood sign that exactly. we often, <laughs> that we often it's based see. based on that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so, you know, okay. To In the movies listener, or like pop culture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, so the, the oversized, bigger than the human body, uh, each letter spelling out Hollywood in the hills, you know, over Hollywood and California. Um, but uh, but this is in a desert scrubland, and it's uh, an artist, Norby, who I quoted before, one of the uh, um, indigenous American artists who has done, uh, she's taken these letters all around America, and she's put them up in American Indian-owned uh, land just to draw attention to the fact that there is so much land in America that should rightfully, in her, um, you know, in her, her opinion belong to the people that, that it belonged to in the first place before the, uh, the colonial settlers came along. So I think that's, that's um, just, just a little window into something that is far from resolved, but is in progress in both Canada and America. Um, and I've heard that it is in Australia. I think we've all heard, and I think I might have spoken about it on this program mm -hmm. before, yeah. about um, Indigenous Australian artists too um, and the overlapping of not just uh, being represented in the art world, but also the question of land rights. Anyway, so that's the first, that's the first part of today. Secondly, going on to something that's a lot more, it's a lot lighter in nature from what we were just talking about, um, a 12-year-old artist has made... Uh, 1.6 million US, 12-year-old, I say again, um, which is uh, about 40,000, uh, sorry, 40 million Hong Kong dollars um, from her NF, from her NFT, NFT collection. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about them again, as we know on the 123 show, NFTs are talked about almost every week these days, aren't they? Um, it's, uh, for those who haven't heard about them, they are um, digital art with built-in security that can attribute who the rightful owner is using the same kind of blockchain technology as cryptocurrencies. It stands for 
non-fungible token but that doesn't mean much on its own it's um it's it's uh, they can be anything from a moving image to a still image and they are commanding millions and millions at the moment she has released something i sent noreen i sent you a picture there of a fresh-faced 12 year old um who is nyla hayes that's the name of the artist who's become a multi-millionaire and she is not old enough even to have her own Instagram page. I, 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 being 12, I'm not sure what the age is, but the article I, I read two days ago in Business Insider um, says that she, her parents have to have a, an account for her. And, um, I mean, this doesn't sound like that many followers, given that she's just made $40 million, uh, in, in Hong Kong dollars conversion. She's got uh, 4,683 followers on, on that social media as of two days ago. Uh, maybe she'll get more now that, the, that, that she's sold these for a fortune. And she, her collection of paintings that she has sold out of is called Long Neck Ladies. It's called the Long Neck Ladies Collection, and she's been making these um, from originally from paintings, and she decided that she liked the more immediate way of using a mobile phone. Uh, I don't know if, it, if, she, if it's even her own mobile phone or her parents, and then going on to a tablet uh, to, to make larger drawings, and then uh, somehow the idea, oh, yeah, her and her, her parents were looking online and they saw that you can try and sell your work as an NFT on the various sites that host NFTs. Um, that that uh, the, the, the biggest one is called OpenSea. It's the NFT market, marketplace and that's where she's exhibiting. And so from it's that... It's quite a cool picture, long yeah. neck lady. If, if yeah, how would you describe it? Apart um, from having a long neck and a lady. <laughs> It's, you know, I'm terrible. Thanks for putting me on the spot. It's just a lady with a really long neck, red lipstick and green eyes and long orangey blonde hair. It's Mm. just an interesting, I don't know, it's just an interesting picture. I can't describe it. (laughs) People who may have seen the the paintings of um, uh, Modigliani, um, that's his surname, the Italian painter in the uh, first half of the 20th century, he did long it was they weren't called long necks ladies but they were they were elongated it wasn't just a long neck we can't see the rest of her body we can just see the one that noreen's described as literally her head face and neck we don't see beyond that but the medigliani ones where the whole body was kind of uh, a little bit elongated with the limbs as well do you think she um, looks a bit like pocahontas Disney version of pocahontas yeah actually Strange, it's very, it is a bit, a it's a bit animated isn't it's a bit it? animated but, yeah and and the shape of the eyes, very uh, sort of Disney um, uh, Prince. Pocahontas princess. Yeah, 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 they are. They're very almond, like not 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 Japanese sort of uh, large, no. but, but but still quite wide. But not yeah. Disney, but also yeah, animated is is a good mm. word, Andrew. Yeah, it's it's just an interesting picture to look at. You can't pinpoint the style or anything. Yeah, wow, good it for is. her. So, as usual, we often come up with ideas, whether it's to do with food or art, where Noreen um, uh, might sort of think, oh, I might just do that. I might, I might make a jam out of this, that one is a food thing. Get those kids to work, Noreen. Yeah. Making it art I'm for I'm thinking, well, exactly. Yeah. I'll be retiring, yeah. like, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 
just when they get to, typical, just when they got the new studio, when they got the studio renovated, she makes a fortune <laughs> out of the art world. Yeah. Um, quickly moving on, because I know we haven't got much time. I'm going to mention this very quickly. Japan last month um, had Art Week Tokyo for the first time, and it's had a partial sponsoring from Art Basel, and it did pretty well even in the time of COVID. I sent you a picture of people walking around with masks and tote bags, um, and it was it, it got support from Art Basel, um, Art Basel Asia, but Art Basel Asia made it extremely clear that Hong Kong remains the home of the Art Basel show in Asia, and it won't be transferring to Tokyo. But look out next year, folks because they hope that next year we'll have an even bigger representation from art around the world, even if people still can't go there from other parts of the world. They want to show more, and that is called Art Week Tokyo. You can look it up if you're into the arts, uh, but it won't be around for another calendar year next November. Something to bear in mind, though, another big art week, another excuse to go to Tokyo if travel is allowed. <laughs> I know, I know. It seems so far yeah. away, but you never know. Maybe, maybe Omicron will just go away and COVID will disappear. Here's the dream. Well, Andrew, thank you so much once again for your time this afternoon. And I look forward to more chats with you uh, next week for Artsing Around and, of course, Tuesday. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Noreen. Speak to you then.